You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Think His Thoughts, Part 3. Enjoy. The Holy Spirit, we give you our attention this morning. We're not here for a little snack. We're not here for a, a, a TV dinner or a microwave bag of popcorn. We're here for some fresh, hot meat. We're here for some filet mignon. We're here for some uh, rice pilaf and some um, asparagus in olive oil and, and, and balsamic vinegar. And we're here for, for some delicious Jesus. We're here to eat the bread of life. We're not in a hurry. We've just walked into the best restaurant on the planet. Your presence. And we open our mouths, we open our hearts to receive you. To receive your word, the bread of life. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit. That we would see Christ and what he's done for us more clearly than ever before. And that we'd realize this is not a day to be afraid. It's a day to rise, to roar with his praises, to move forward and do all that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. There's only about a thousand messages going off of me right now. I'm trying to narrow it down to under a hundred. Think his thoughts. The level of our commitment to Christ determines how freely God can move in our lives. I want to say that again. The level of your personal commitment to Christ, 48%, 63%, the level of your personal commitment to Christ determines how freely Christ can move in your life. If you have a 100% commitment to him, He's free to roam about the cabin. He's free to move in your life. Don't say anything out loud, but where is your commitment? See, what many haven't realized, and I saw it coming before the whole COVID thing got to the place where they were ordering us to stay at home. This is a strategy of the enemy. And you may not know that, and they may think that sounds foolish, but it is anyway. We have to process things through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, not through the carnal mind and not through natural reasoning. Natural reasoning will never get you where you were made to be, where you're called to be. I smelled fear 
long before there was ever a stay-at-home order. I was surprised that we would go to these links over something so weak. When pneumonia is 700-some percent stronger than COVID-19 and so many other things that we've never closed society in my lifetime for any of these things, why would we ever shut down something for a virus that's so weak with a teeny tiny death rate? Why would large health organizations give advice to isolate? There is a spiritual warfare taking place, and Ephesians educates us in that. And it's been now, we're in eight, well, it started in March, so what, about six months of isolation? It's let up a little bit, but not much. And that was part of the enemy's plan. Because when you're isolated, you can be tempted to compromise on your commitment to Christ. Wolves don't come after the flock of sheep when the shepherd's around. What a wolf, that's how I say, I say wolf, wolf, wants to do, he wants to find uh, an isolated sheep, one that's away from the shepherd, one that's away from the, what do you call them, a herd? What do you call a pack of sheep? I don't know. Flock, thank you. Yeah. Flock. It's my farming expertise coming out there. Yeah. Away from the flock. And I thank God that we're able through technology to participate in, in a worship service online. But it can never take the place of being here in person. It can't. It never will. I don't care what the resolution of the screen is, what kind of hi-fi system you're listening through. There is something God-ordained about physically being in the presence of the ministry of His Spirit and His Word. Your level of commitment to Christ determines how freely He can move in your life. Your level of commitment to Christ determines the amount of freedom you enjoy on a daily basis. No matter what society says. When you're fully committed to Christ and you're embracing His truth, you, you embrace a new identity and it doesn't matter what anyone calls you. It doesn't matter how anyone looks at you or what they say about you. You will be as free as free can be because you'll see yourself as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. To be fully committed to Christ is to fully embrace his thoughts, every one of them. To be fully committed to Christ is to fully embrace his thoughts. So the, to the degree of which I've embraced his thoughts is the degree to which he can move in my life. That motivates me to know what he's thinking. God wants his thoughts to be your actions. Yeah. 
He wants you to move from the place of mental assent. Do you know what that is? When you assent to something, you agree with it. You give your head nod, but you don't act on it. He wants you to move from that place of nodding your head into real life experience with Him. Where you're seeing the kingdom of God manifest in your daily life. He wants you to walk closely with him tomorrow morning. Being sure and certain that greater is Christ in you than anything in this world. He wants his thoughts to become your actions so that he can reach through your hands and touch those around you with the kingdom of God. And so that you can fulfill his purposes in the earth. Think his thoughts. To be fully committed to Christ is to fully embrace his thoughts. The level of our commitment to Christ determines how freely he can move in our lives. It's interesting to note In the Bible, we have what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the dawn of the New Testament began with an invitation to embrace God's thoughts. John the Baptist was the one who said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, religion has tripped people up because they've told people that repent means to fall on your face and to weep and to cry and to beat yourself up and to fast and to pray, and that's not repenting. That's not what he said. Repent was an English word that's not in the Greek. The Greek word is metanoia, and it means change your thinking. So the the dawn of the New Testament began with with the prophet who walked in Elijah's anointing with the declaration to change your thinking, think God's thoughts for his kingdom is here. Think God's thoughts for his kingdom is here. Embrace God's thoughts for you can reach out and touch. You can experience his kingdom in your life starting now. I like this word, metanoia. It's a change of thought. It's a change of mind and it's a change of purpose. Hebrews 6, let's put that up there, Hebrews 6, 1, and we'll read it in the English here. Repentance from. Okay, so we change our thinking and it turns us away from something. From dead works and of faith toward. So when you embrace God's thoughts, it turns you away from dead things and towards new life in Him every time. 
When you embrace God's thoughts, it is a turning away from sin, because sin is death, a turning away from anything that's contrary to his nature, and it's, a, it's faith towards him. It's putting my confidence now in what he says instead of what man says. That's what quote-unquote repentance is. His thoughts turn us away from the wisdom of man to the wisdom of his son. I've heard so many people use this word wisdom during this COVID time. You have to exercise wisdom. Really? Who's wisdom? What they're really talking about is fear. But they give it a, a, a costume called wisdom. Whose wisdom are you exercising? The wisdom of the World Health Organization and the CDC or the wisdom of the Son of God? I'm going to go with him. If you haven't realized yet, there's going to come a confrontation between you and the ways of this world. You may as well stand up now. You may as well embrace the wisdom of the Son of God now. Isn't he good? Some of, of God's people have repented just enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom of God in their daily lives. They've repented just enough to be forgiven, and I know I'm going to heaven, but they're not experiencing God. I'm not talking, when I say repent, I'm talking about changing your thinking. They, they've accepted the idea that Jesus is, is, has paid the price for my sins and that through faith in him I'm forgiven. But they're not experiencing the reality of his kingdom in their lives today. They're not able to discern what is of God's kingdom and what's of this world. What's of man's wisdom and what's of God. Because they haven't changed their thinking enough. It takes a total reformation of our thinking to experience his kingdom in our daily lives. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Everybody awake? Isn't this good? Mm, I can smell the aroma from the kitchen. This is a good meal. Something happened to me this morning that it's happened about three times in my life. I was making a piece of toast and putting peanut butter on it. And after I got all the peanut butter on the toast that I wanted, I dropped it. And it landed <laughs> peanut butter side down. Isn't that the worst? How many people have had that happen? Come on, let's just be real. Did it hit the counter or the floor? The floor, how many ate it after it? You're my heroes. I love you. I did too. Actually, mine hit the counter and the counter was clean, but I scraped it off the counter. Don't mess with my peanut butter. I'm just saying. 
choosy dads choose Jeff, right? <laughs> First Corinthians 2, 16, in the Amplified Classic. We're about to get into a peanut butter fight in here. For who has known or understood the mind, the counsels and purposes of the Lord, so as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge? And this is where religion comes in and builds a big wall. Stop right there. That's all the further you go. How can you ever know the mind and counsels of God? That's presumptuous. Who do you think you are? But that's not where Jesus stops. Don't, religion, don't let religion and man's tradition put a wall between you and Jesus. Keep reading. And that's usually what fixes it if you just keep reading. But we have the mind of Christ. Talk about think his thoughts. We've got his mind. We have the mind. That's all of his thoughts are in us now. Everything he thinks is in you. We have the mind of Christ, the Messiah. And do hold the thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. (laughs) Are you ready? Yield to the mind of Christ within you. Fully yield to the mind of Christ within you. You want to go on the greatest adventure of your life. You want to experience the most satisfying life humanly possible. Yield to the mind of Christ within you. Let his thoughts become yours. Will people criticize you? Oh, yeah. Will some reject you? Yeah. Make fun of you? Tell you you're nuts? You're a fool? You've, been, you've joined a cult? You've gotten involved in some kind of primitive religion? There's nothing primitive about Jesus. There's nothing even close to being as advanced as him. Now stay with me, because there's work to be done on this earth for his glory. And you're a part of that. So people come in to the church and haven't renewed their minds, haven't yielded to the mind of Christ. And they think that the church operates the same way the world does. I'll come in, I'll show my resume of all my gifts and experience, and and they'll be impressed, and they'll give me opportunity to do the things I want to do. 
I like how one minister says it. He says, God's kingdom is different. In God's kingdom, you live by dying. Tilt. World doesn't understand that. In God's, see, in the world, you live by getting as much as you can for yourself. And if you have to step on someone else to do it, you, that's okay. Right? The end justifies the means, right? As long as I come out on top. In God's kingdom, it's different. You live by dying. You receive by giving. You rise by going low. We're a local church here on planet Earth, highway, right? Let me speak to the highway family. In God's kingdom, in this church, we live by dying. We receive by giving. We rise by going low. We yield to the mind of Christ within us. Can we read some more Bible? Philippians 2. Let's look at the mind of Christ. When you're yielding to the mind of Christ, you'll live by dying. You'll receive by giving. And you'll rise by going low. Philippians 2, verse 5. Another invitation, just like John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 3. Let this mind... Be in you. In other words, you have to give Christ permission. Isn't that amazing? Yes, that's right. You have to personally give Christ permission yes. to be your Lord. Yes. Wow. Because yes. he's, that, he's that gentle. Perfect in power, but he'll never force anything on you. And when you meet a person who's truly strong and powerful, they're that way. They don't force it on you. When you meet someone who's gifted and has the mind of Christ, they won't force their gifts on you either. They won't tell you about themselves and the gifts they have. They'll talk about Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you have to choose to let it. You have to choose to yield to his mind. Because if you're, if you're used to listening to the wisdom of man, you're going to have a difficult time yielding to his mind. Because major conflict's going to be going on inside of you. But so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said that, and I saw this on the news, and, 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 and this organization is saying that, and, and this expert is saying that. But Jesus isn't saying any of those things. Who am I going to yield to? Who am I going to exalt above every other voice? Let this say, this is the Amplified Classic, same verse. Let's do that. Amplified Classic, same verse. Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. Don't let religion define humility for you. Again, religion tells you humility is, is uh, walking around with your head low and 
Oh, I'm just nothing. I'm just a nobody. And it, that's not humility at all. Humility is knowing who you are with God and who you are without Him. That's what humility is. Yes. In Him, I can do all things. Apart from Him, I can do nothing. That's humility. No hanging of the head required. No tears. No false statements about how humble I am. Real humility is knowing who I am in Christ and knowing who I am apart from Him. Right? Verse 6, back to good old King Jimmy. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Not in competition, right? Verse 7. This is talking about Jesus who is God, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. We have one God that we serve, right? But if you'll read the Scriptures, it teaches there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But we serve one God in three persons. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We serve God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I've seen so many wrestle with this concept. Oh, how can that be? He's God. Why don't you just believe Him and move forward? If God tells me the sky is green and the grass is blue, I believe it. Because He's God. If He says it, it's so. See, we don't realize how much we've been conditioned by the fear of man. Man tells you, you've got you've to analyze and, and study and you've got to do tests and you've got to get out your test tubes and you've got to go into laboratories and you've got to go down to the atomic and subatomic level and you've got to break these things down and then maybe you can find some truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. No microscope needed. No lab needed. No research needed. No test tubes needed. I just believe him. Man goes to such great lengths to cover his unbelief. He will build organizations and foundations to cover his unbelief. What would happen in your life if you just believed Jesus? Everything God said about himself and his word, you embraced it immediately. It's time, isn't it? Isn't that who we are? Isn't that what we're called to? to fully embrace the thoughts of our Father. So what we're seeing as we're reading here in Philippians, God the Father, at some point in time, asked God the Son to lay down His glory, to empty Himself of His godliness, and to come to earth as a man through the womb of a woman. That's what we're reading about here in Philippians 2. Being made himself of no reputation. There was nothing special about the physical appearance of Jesus. He looked just like you or I look because he laid down his glory. 
and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. So we're seeing the mind of Christ here. The Father speaks and I say yes. Can you imagine what that may have been like? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have no beginning. They've never learned anything. They always have known everything about everyone and everything. They're perfect in power, perfect love, perfect wisdom. But at some point in time, and we know the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, God asked His Son if He would lay down His godliness, empty Himself, and come to earth as a man. The mind of Christ. What did the mind of Christ say to the Father? Yes, I'll do that. We can't comprehend how huge that is. How amazing His love for the Father is. But that same love is in us now. And being found in fashion as a man, verse 8, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Mind of Christ. I'll do whatever you say, Father, even if it means losing my life. Anyone who comes after me must take up his cross daily and follow after me. He who does not is not worthy of me. Fully committed. We're fully committed. A disciple of Christ is a person who's fully committed to Christ. No matter what. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Because we're sons and daughters of God, what's important to God is just as important to us. Right? What's important to him is just as important to us. What's not important to him is not important to us. You want to look a little more into the mind of Jesus? Can we read some more Bible? We're going to look at the, the very first words recorded of Jesus. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. We're getting into the mind of Christ and we're yielding. We're letting his mind be in us. We fully embrace everything the Father says. And we move forward and we act upon his thoughts have become our actions. Luke chapter 2. This is one of my favorite portions of scriptures because it's, it's one of the, it really, it's the only uh, place we have of such a detailed account of Jesus as a child. Luke chapter 2 verse 39 says, and when they had performed all things, talking about uh, Jesus' family, his mother and father in the temple, according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child, that's Jesus, he grew. Remember he became a man. God has never grown. Right? 
God didn't start as a little God and become a big God. He's always, he's I am. He has no end, no beginning. You got to understand that about God. It's just who he is. Might as well just believe it. So something's different here. Jesus is growing. He became a man. He was conceived in the womb of a woman by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by man's seed, by God's seed. And he entered this earth through the womb of a woman was born just like you and I were born, had an umbilical cord that had to be cut, had to be cleaned off, had to be taken care of, just like any baby would need to be taken care of. And he grew, it tells us here in verse 40. He grew and he waxed, he became strong in spirit. Did God ever become strong? Of course not. Listen to me. Jesus became 100% man. He was also 100% God. What? That's your carnal mind wrestling with that. He did it. 100% man and 100% God. Well, how do you do that? He's God. Tell me how the universe is expanding still. Tell me how the outer rims of this universe are expanding at least at the speed of sound. He was 100% man and 100% God. And he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Is it upon you? You're going to find you're just like Jesus as we keep reading. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover for the Super Bowl. No, for the Passover. What's the Passover? They celebrated coming out of bondage into freedom, out of darkness into light, right? Out of poverty into wealth, out of sickness into health. And when Jesus was 12 years old, a little younger than Dana, my youngest, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. Must have had an arcade there or something, huh? And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. He wasn't in the arcade. He wasn't playing with an an Xbox. What was he doing? But they, supposing him to have been in the company, so they're traveling with a large group of people and family and friends, They went a day's journey, and they noticed that the snacks weren't diminishing like they normally do on a road trip. Where's Jesus, right? They're they're missing one of their children who (laughs) who eats all the snacks. After a day's journey, they sought him among their friends and their, their acquaintances, their family, their kinsfolk, and they found him not. Oops, our son's not here. They turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. They didn't know he wasn't with them. So their attention was on other things. Now, so it was that after three, you know, you can know he's not with you if your attention's on other things. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him. They were searching for him for three days. They probably went to the arcade first. 
then to Wendy's, Taco Bell, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, looking for Jesus. Three days. They didn't know where to go to find him. Where did they find him? In the temple. He was in church. He stayed behind. Where was his attention? On God as Father. See, there may be trips coming up, or there may be plans that some have for your life that you don't need to partake in because their mind's not on God the Father. But yours is, so you stay. And you keep following him. Three days they're searching. What if they would have went right to the temple? Which kind of shows you where their thought life was. It should have been the first place they looked, not the last. Church should be the first place you come in the week. Not the last. Sunday's the beginning of the week, isn't it? Glad you're here. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, arguing with them, telling him he's the Messiah. Come on, this is Jesus. He should have stepped up into the pulpit and started preaching. If anyone was gifted, he surely was. Mind of Christ. What was he doing? Listening to the teachers in church. Jesus sat listening to the teachers in his church and asking them questions. Why? Because you'll learn the thoughts of God in the house of God. Verse 47 and all that heard him were astounded at his understanding and answers. So obviously this is something he did regularly. So when they saw him, they were amazed. That's his mom and dad. They're amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. That's revealing. If someone's anxious, it gives you insight into their thought life. It tells you what they've been thinking about, not God's thoughts. When you think God's thoughts, you can't be anxious. When you think God's thoughts, you can't worry. You can't be afraid. Impossible if you think his thoughts because there's no anxiety in them. And here we have the first recorded words of Jesus in the next verse. You know the principle of first in Bible study, that the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, it is very significant. Well, here we have a first, the very first words of Jesus. Yield to the mind of Christ within you. And he said to them, here it is, his first Words recorded in the Bible. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Wow. 
first words. He's all about the Father, isn't he? And so are we. That's why we're in his house. The Amplified Translation says it this way. He said to them, how is it that you had to look for me? What's your, what business is your mind about? Did you not see and know? He's 12 years old now, so they've, they've seen a pattern in his life. The temple, the church was somewhere he was at regularly, listening and asking questions. Did you not know that it is necessary as a duty for me to be in my father's house and occupied about my father's business? The Passion Translation says this, why would you need to search for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be here in my father's house consumed with him? People who don't come to a local church are not consumed with him. I know what I'm going to say is, is going to hurt a little bit, but we need to get the mind of Christ on church. Not religious tradition, not denominations, not division, but the body of Christ. I had to be. It was necessary for me to come to church, to be in my father's house because I'm consumed with him. Are you consumed with God the Father? How do you know? You'll be in his house and you'll be about his business. What is the business of God's house? Well, what was Jesus doing in verse 46? Listening to the teachers and asking them questions. He called that God's business. What is the business of this church? To teach people to know the Father. That's why this church was started. To teach people to have an intimacy with the one who made them. What's our vision statement? We see a vibrant, growing church where people are experiencing God and moving forward in his destiny for their lives, right? That's the business of the church. Now, I bring up church, and you know me. I'm not a churchy guy. I'm sure most of us could share some stories, not that we should, but we could share some challenges we've been through in churches that we've attended. I can put mine up against yours any day, and I bet you mine are worse. But I'm not going to do that. My point is, I understand being hurt. I understand being offended. I understand uh, being taken advantage of and manipulated and lied to. And I could tell you some things, but I'm not going to do it. But I understand that things can happen in a local church that aren't of God. Because people are in a local church, right? And you'll find in every local church there are people in that local church, just like you and me. And we make mistakes, don't we? But we're not going to church because the people are perfect. We're going to church to know the Father. 
because we're about his business. What's his business? To see people know him. Right? But you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, because I've been hurt in a church experience, some people say we should no longer have local churches. We shouldn't have, you know, we should just meet in homes. And some have even gone so far to say, as say that's how they did it in the Bible. Yeah. Which isn't true. We're going to see that in a minute. God ordained for His people to corporately worship Him. And of course in your homes. But see, when you stay in your home, if you've been offended, if you've been hurt by a church experience, like I've got a bunch of the t-shirts and you can borrow some of mine. I've been there. I've done that. Get over it. This world is not your personal pity party. All of us have been hurt. That's not what life is about. Let it go. Forgive and move on. But what is God's purpose for the ecclesia? Those who've been called out of the world system into God's system. I've actually heard people use that word to saying, see, God called us out of the local assembly. Say, like, oh, no, no. If you study the word ecclesia, it was, it was not a church word. It was a word that, that unsaved people yet. And it was a summoning, a calling out from where you are to where you were, you were meant to be. It was a calling. It was a summoning for a purpose. The ecclesia, the people who have yielded to the mind of Christ and have been summoned to fulfill His purpose in the earth. That's what the church is. You know, what was Moses' reason to Pharaoh to let the people go? Do you remember? So we can go to church. Wasn't that it? You look. We want to go and worship our God. Where? Out in the desert? Oh, you're nuts. I'll go anywhere to worship Him. I'd rather have air conditioning, but if it's a desert, I'll go. Rather have a pool <laughs> and some lemonade. <laughs> that was Moses' reason. Can you imagine that? Some translations say to, to serve our God. Same thing. That was Moses' justification for the most powerful nation on earth to let them go. From the world's point of view, that's pretty weak. From God's point of view, you better let them go. Nothing's more important. And what happened when they left? Did God just say, just okay, everyone scatter and build your own little places? No, what did God instruct them to do? To build a tabernacle. God personally instructed their leader Moses, very detailed, to build a very detailed, intricate house of worship which consisted of the gates. It's a great study. You want to read a book, read The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread. Great, and there's some other great books on the tabernacle. But he gave them a very detailed instructions to build a church, to build a place of worship for the whole nation. And if you'll study that tabernacle, you'll see Jesus all the way through it. So those who would criticize public church and local church 
that say we should, we should meet in homes, where did Jesus go to learn about God? Let's, did we read it? Am I making this up? Where did Jesus go to grow in the knowledge of God? To church. I guess if it's good enough for him, I can come along, right? Right? We're talking about Jesus now. Let's open to Acts chapter 2. I've got it here. Acts chapter 2. When we first got to New England, there was someone that told us, yeah, you don't need to go to a church. We just meet in our homes. That's what they did in the Bible. Now, thankfully, I had read the Bible many times. I hope you have. If you haven't, get to it. Read the whole thing all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, then read it again, then read it again, then keep reading it. Your life depends on it. A hard copy, Bob, not on your phone. One of these with pages and ink and that you can turn and hear the pages and no batteries, don't have to charge it. I can see a whole lot more of the context in this. Look at all the context I can see when I read this. Right? Can't see that on my phone. I can look up things on my phone. You know, I'm out and about and I can, I can use it in different situations than I do, but there's nothing like this. You need one of these. If you want to, be, if you want to yield to the mind of Christ, you need a hard copy Bible. You need to be reading it. You need to be in this book, The Thoughts of God. This is a recording, a record of God's thoughts. You want to get his thoughts, you get them right here, not by going and meditating on a mountain somewhere. You need the Word of God. If you want to go on a mountain, take a hard copy Bible with you and meditate in the Word. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. So Jesus, when he wanted to learn about his Father, he made a habit of being in church. In Acts chapter 2, we're in the New Testament, right? Then they that gladly received his word, this was Peter's first gospel message, they were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. This is the birth of the New Testament church, right? And they, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear, reverence, that's what fear is. Reverence, fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man had need, and as every man had need. Verse 46, look at this. And they, and they continuing daily, that's every day, isn't that what daily means? Daily with one accord where? If you want to be New Testament. People love this, right? We're, don't worry, we're not going to meet every day. But I'm just showing you what they did. What people say in the Bible, they didn't meet. Every day they met in the temple. Why? To hear the apostles' doctrine. To know God through His Word. Right? The apostles had the revelation of Christ and they were teaching and preaching it and they came every day to hear it. See, if you'll study history, you'll find there are people who, who traveled great distances just to hear the Word of God. 
My kids, were, we were just talking the other day, they were like, you know, we go on vacation and we'll drive for hours to hear the Word of God. One way. Hours. Just to get the Word. Are you fully committed? Are you consumed with Him? I hear people talking about a 30-minute drive as if that's a long way. 45 minute, an hour, hour and a half. As if that's a long way to hear the Word. Well, I could just watch it online. Well, you can, but there's a better way. And I understand if, you know, there, and we have people watching from different states and different parts of the world online, and I understand that, and I'm thankful for that. And I watch the Word in different parts of the world. But there's something God-ordained about corporately gathering physically in one place to hear the revelation of Christ in person that can never be replaced if you want to know His thoughts, if you want to go forward and grow and increase in Him. And it may as well just get with the program, right? Why argue with God? So in the New Testament, they're so excited about this revelation of Christ, every day they're coming to church. Every day. And they didn't have cars. They had to walk. Who knows how long? I love this story. What's her name, Jen? Ann Hutchinson. Ann Hutchinson, who founded Portsmouth. Is that right? Rhode Island. She came from England. She would ride on horseback like four to six hours to hear the Word of God, to go to church. Because there was only one place she knew of a man preaching the gospel of grace. Because that guy, and she had, there were other churches close to her, but she wanted the grace of God. She wanted the, God, the true gospel of grace. That's what we preach here. Hello. She would ride on horseback one way, four to six hours. The service would be four hours long, plus a question and answer session afterwards. She'd ride four to six hours back. Figure that one out. Fully committed. Fully committed. Don't let technology turn you into a wimp. I'm going to go to church. That was good. Get up, get out of your house and come to church. Know him. See, you can hide in your house. Your ungodly attitudes won't be confronted in your house. Well, maybe your wife will, but you won't listen because you're isolated. There's a benefit for you being here. You're not going to get away with a whiny baby attitude here. Come on. In the presence of the preached word of God, our attitudes are confronted. Mine too. I love it. I love when God confronts me. I love when he rebukes me. I love it. Why? Because he loves me. He wants to set me free. He wants to break every bondage in my life. And a bad attitude is one of the worst bondages you can have. And it gets broken when you come to church. If you'll commit. So they met daily in the temple, hearing the apostles' doctrine. Then what's it say? And breaking bread. Fellowshipping. From house to house. So of course they met in their homes. Don't we? Of course. Fellowship is important. Right? That's why we have our get-togethers to meet in our homes. Right? And, and, they, did the, and they, uh, they did eat their meat in the homes. 
with gladness and singleness of heart. Wow, that's good. Isn't that good? Now, what happened after that? Persecution broke out. We don't have time to read that. But persecution broke out against them. They were coming, they were dragging followers of Christ out of the temple, out of church, and persecuting them, putting them in jail. So they, for the most part, they stopped meeting publicly. Some of the apostles stayed there. But they scattered. The church was scattered, and many of them began meeting privately in their homes because they couldn't go publicly without getting drugged into prison. Don't you even compare what's going on now to what they went through, this stay-at-home baloney. Uh-uh. I'm not talking about some little mamby-pamby, don't-come-out-of-your-house stuff. I'm talking about they were being drug out by soldiers and put in prison. We're not experiencing that. We've never experienced that in America, to my knowledge. So then, because of that, they scattered. Many of them left Jerusalem, scattered, went to different parts of the world, and began meeting privately. That's why they were meeting in homes. All right? It's good to understand the context and not listen to what people tell you. All right? Wow, God is so good. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to read this and we'll we'll stop. We're going to finish up next week. Hebrews chapter 10. Talking about the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. God's people corporately gathering. Having therefore, verse 19, Hebrews 10, 19. Hebrews is an amazing book that you need to know if you want to learn about who you are in Christ and what Jesus did for you through his sacrifice. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, that's the holy of holies, that's a reference to the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to make that was a type of the tabernacle in heaven, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, so Jesus entered into the tabernacle in heaven, presented his blood before the Father on the mercy seat. By a new living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over... What's he high priest over? The house of God. What did Jesus say? I must be in my Father's house. If Jesus is the high priest of your life, you'll be in church regularly. Just going to be real with you. I, have, I, I could care less about being a pastor. I don't even think of myself as a pastor. I think of myself as a child of God. I'm not trying to get people to, to come to my church. I'm talking about the mind of Christ. Someone has to, to tell you these things. In fact, while we're in Hebrews, let me just read this to you. You stay in Hebrews 10. I'll read you Hebrews 13. It says, be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not their drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? Back to Hebrews 10. I got to tell you the word. We need to know God's system. Right? I'm not interested in manipulating someone or trying to control someone. You know me if you've been coming here. We just don't do that here. 
I am interested in seeing you yield to the mind of Christ and begin serving him in his house. You know, there are many times I've, you know, you prepare all week for what's happening Coming on Sunday, there's a lot, there's many, many hours that go into what we do in this couple hours that we're together, many, many hours. And, 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 you, and at the end of service, you know, I, I, I go to leave, I'm usually the last one here, and I see stuff spilled on the floor and water bottles laying around. What is that? Not yielding to the mind of Christ. See, sweeping the floor is yielding to the mind of Christ. And there are people who say, well, I, 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 I've got a gift to preach. I don't need to do that. Well, Jesus did. Yeah. Jesus submitted to the Father. I'd rather sweep the floor in submission to Jesus Christ than preach in a stadium for my own ego. Jesus became a servant. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So when I go into a church, I'm looking around to see, is anything, any paper on the floor? Anything need to be picked up? Anything I can do? Is there dust in the corners that I can sweep out? I'm not going to go get the pa- pastor. Uh, you got dust in your corner over there. I'm going to find a broom. I'm going to sweep it out. Mind of Christ. Are you okay? This is where real life happens. When you, now, this is a warehouse, but we're treating it as God's house. What makes it God's house? Faith. The reason that we gather. Right? Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. See, when you stay at home, there's encouragement you need to bring to someone they don't get. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, We should just meet in homes. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. What's he talking about? God's house. Verse 21, the house of God, church. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. We come to exhort one another to know the Father. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Man, we should come more than ever. (laughs) More than ever we should be here. Uh, but what about everything that's going on? And all More than ever, because why? The day's approaching. We've got to be in the Father's house. We've got to be in the Father's house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'll have to finish next week. But we're going to look at the New Testament church in our, our business, the Father's business of teaching people to know him. And your part in that, okay? These are thinking God's thoughts. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. We thank you for your house. That we can have a physical location to come and hear your thoughts. 
God, that's so precious to us. Forgive us for taking that for granted. Forgiving us for thinking like the world and for not being about your business. We love you, Father. You're so kind. You're so gracious. We give ourselves to you. Lord, we acknowledge what you've done here in raising up this house of believers. And we look to you, Holy Spirit, to move us forward and to show us what's next. And we thank you for every member taking their place and doing the things that need to get done so that people can come in here and know you. In Jesus' name, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.